This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. Every child deserves a team. That's the belief behind Jigsaw Learning, a proud sponsor of the B Podcast Network. And it's why the company, founded by educators Curtis and Lorna Hewson, focuses on ensuring success for all learners through collaborative response, an approach in which every child is supported by a team. Through customized professional learning that incorporates workshops, leadership development, online learning opportunities, and more, Jigsaw Learning can guide you every step of the way to create a plan to maximize the collective capacity in your schools. Learn more at jigsawlearning.ca. TL Talk Radio, Season 2, Episode 13. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 13 of TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn Funihatton and Randy Ziegenfuss, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. And I'm Lynn Funihatton. Good afternoon, Randy. Good afternoon, Lynn. Welcome to another exciting episode. Yes, as we are surviving the blizzard of 2016. <laughs> yes. I- so in this episode, we're excited for you to hear from Star Saxstein, author of Hacking Assessment, The Power of Questioning, and several other books. Star Saxstein currently works at World Journalism Preparatory School in Flushing, New York, as a high school English and journalism teacher, where her students run a multimedia news outlet at wjpsnews.com. In 2011, the Dow Jones News Fund honored Star as Special Recognition Advisor in 2012. Education Updated recognized her as an outstanding educator. Currently, Star has thrown out grades, teaching skills that learning isn't about numbers, but about the development of skills and the, and the ability to articulate that growth. In 2012, Star National Board Certification in an effort to reflect on her practice and grow as an educational English facilitator. After a year of closely looking at her work with students, she achieved this honor. Star is a certified master journalism educator through the Journalism Education Association and serves as the New York State Director to the Association to help advisors in New York better grow journalism programs. Welcome to the show, Star. Thanks. Wow. When you read that bio, I sound pretty impressive. <laughs> well, well, we're you, looking forward. And you are pretty impressive based on all the things that you uh, write about, whether it be your daily blogs uh, or your books. So we're really excited to have you here today to giving giving us uh, your time and to talk about uh, assessment in particular. 
So to start off this conversation, uh, several episodes ago, we interviewed uh, another author, Warren Berger, who wrote A More Beautiful Question. And in that book and in our conversation, he described a beautiful question as one that is ambitious and actionable. And we think that this whole idea of ambitious, actionable questions really uh, applies nicely to the work uh, that we're doing here on our podcast and all the authors that we have on. So to start with, what is the beautiful question behind your book, Hacking Assessment? I would say that the probably the beautiful question is how can we empower students to think about learning in terms of their growth and reflective output instead of trying to quantify what they know in in numbers the way that we've traditionally done it. So it's all about shifting the focus away from teacher-led assessment and this idea that students should be taught and then empowered to understand themselves as learners. So I guess the the beautiful question would be, how, how do we empower students to do this? How do we give them the tools to make them more a part of their assessing? And what really connects with us about this idea and the things that we've been talking about within our district. And I know that lots of folks are talking out there on the internet about is this idea of personalized learning. So you've taken this one area of what we do with kids and that's assessment, uh, what we do with learners and how do we personalize it? How do we give them voice? How do we give them the ownership in it too? So am I. I'm always, I'm always excited to have the opportunity to share these ideas. And like you were saying at the start of your show, um, I think education's at one of these tipping points right now where people are starting to be ready for change. But grading is one of those um, really long held traditions almost in education where when you bring up any kind of shift, people get very uncomfortable very so, fast. So why do you think that is? Why, what is it about the whole idea of something that doesn't have a grade or a number on it? What, what is that? agitate people there's so much power in grading and in a lot of ways and i i hate to say this and i'm I'm speaking from my own experience i'm not gonna project onto other people but i could say from my early career um i wielded grades as a way to control my students um and i used I used the grading platform or taking points off or really penalizing and punishing kids as a way to keep control in my space. Um, I know it's supposed to be about communicating learning, but I don't really know that it always did. Um, I know it doesn't always right now, as a matter of fact. Um, And I just, I worry, I worry that too many teachers are, um, really afraid to give up that power um, because it's almost like what are parents going to say? What are other stakeholders going to say if if we do let go of this? How are they going to get into college? These are all the things that come up mm-hmm. um, when you say, you know, we're just not going to grade things. I mean, there's a whole other, um, there's a lot of stuff that gets tied in with that too. I don't believe in testing either of any kind. And the assessments that my students participate in are more learning experiences where they're doing collaborative work, they're they're doing hands-on projects, and then they're applying what they learn in those hands-on projects to written papers as opposed to, you know, timed tests. 
and certainly are systemic challenges with considering not using grades. You know, we we recently talked with another author and thinking about a community portal where parents can always access students' grades and um, the idea of report cards and grade point average and ranking and, and a lot of systemic challenges around around this topic of grading that makes makes us uncomfortable and causes a lot of questions. So help us understand what you see as the benefits for the learners, but also for the teachers as you shift away from grades and move towards assessment that you've described, those experiences and the reflective writing. I think the most important thing that students have is their, their ability to understand themselves as learners. And the more opportunity we have with them to have conversations about this learning and about their growth and to help them make actionable goals through these conversations that we have, the better they know themselves as learners. And I think that that's a life skill that no test is ever going to teach them. What's really beneficial for the teacher is you have this opportunity to really listen to your students. And through listening, you have the ability to then tailor what these kids need. Um, when you read a reflection and then you provide feedback based on the reflection that you've read, you know specifically what goals kids were working on, what standards specifically they've taken other feedback and applied. And then when you are looking at the work, you're able to give them something better than, you know, going through looking specifically for the same thing in every kid's writing. So if I have a student who tells me I've really been working on analyzing a piece of literature and adding depth to the meaning of what I write, then the feedback I'm going to provide that student is really going to center around that goal as opposed to just maybe talking about the structure or organization of their essay, which might not be something that they're working on at this time. So it, it really works because the data that we get from kids then helps us better inform the instruction that's happening in our spaces. And the more time we can allow for one-on-one -on -one learning um, or small group learning, then more kids' needs are going to get met more of the time. Especially like my classes are 30, like I have two classes that have 34 kids in them. Wow. So, yeah. So if I'm teaching to the middle, I'm losing a lot all mm -hmm. the time. So this is a great way for me to really ensure that every child is progressing at a pace that works for them. So using the idea of assessment and providing relevant personalized feedback to allow you to create that individualized learning experience um, for your students. Exactly. Moving from an, a traditional grade classroom to a no grades classroom obviously requires the teacher to be highly reflective. So could you give us a glimpse star into sort of your uh, transformation, your thinking process, your reflective process, and how you moved your thinking from uh, being a teacher that graded in the traditional way and assessed in the traditional way to one that's now a no grades uh, classroom teacher? I'm really not going to lie. It wasn't an easy transformation. Um, being as I was one of those people, like I said, um, even when I started to understand the concepts behind everything, 
I struggled with a few things as I went. Um, so I, I read Ken O'Connor's book, 15 Fixes for Broken Grades. Um, and it, it really, like I felt called out on some of my not so great practices. And that was a few years ago. And that coupled with my son's standards-based report card that they do at the elementary level, um, those two things started making me feel very frustrated with having to come up with one grade for all of my students in an English language arts class. Because if I'm gonna give any number of kids, let's say a B, a B profile could mean so many different things, especially if we're using averages to come at that. Like they might be super strong in their class participation, but maybe their writing is weak. And if I just have B with a couple of, you know, pre-slugged comments that I was able to choose from, I really felt I was doing a disservice to every single kid. And the more time that went on, the more frustrated I was getting with this situation. And what ended up happening is I, I read a few more books, um, Rick Wormley and Mark Barnes. And the more I started to let go of this idea that everything needed to be graded, it started with letting go in my elective classes and just not putting a grade on assignments. Instead, I would put specific feedback and, you know, I had rubrics at first, but I, rubrics really, um, really proved to be not as useful as I wanted them to be. I felt very kind of trapped by them. So, I mean, I started teaching kids about the standards and then we started using the language of the standards in the way we communicated feedback so that, you know, if we were working on developing their writing, we would talk about the common core standards that were about revision and um, depth of development. And when I would give them feedback, I would talk to them in terms of mastery, <clears throat> excuse me, or proficiency instead of saying they got an A, I would say you're meeting standards or you're exceeding standards or we still need to work on this. You're not there yet. And I, I found that kids were far more receptive to the feedback when it, it felt like a continuum, because as soon as they saw the grade on any paper or project that I gave them, the learning ended. There was no more revision. There was no more conversation. As a matter of fact, half the time they didn't even read the feedback. They just flipped to the last page of the paper mm -hmm. looking yep. for the grade. And there's mm -hmm. nothing more frustrating for a teacher who spent half an hour reading and writing and doing all these things and <laughs> they ignored all of it mm -hmm. um so you know it's it, it's definitely been a process i think google like a lot of the technology has also helped as well because i we use the google educational suite so there's a lot of collaboration going on on their documents with feedback i use voxer to talk to kids to have conversations we have conferences that they're allowed to set up so that we can continue the dialogue. And I, I would say that the hardest part about it for me now is as a teacher who was like a type A, I'm a type A personality and was definitely a high achiever myself as a kid and definitely defined myself by my grades as a kid, which, you know, looking back on now is a very sad experience. <laughs> and I, I see a lot of my students who do that as well. Um, 
the hardest part is kids who don't turn in a lot of work and not feeling like this justice mindset of it's not fair to other kids if we say this child is approaching standards and if we have to have an alignment because I, I still do have to put a grade on the report card. So if a kid is approaching standards, the conversion looks like like a C range, C minus, C, C plus, depending on where. And there is a part of me that sometimes feels like that's still a grade to be earned, um, which I wrestle with, honestly. But at the end of the day, if I'm talking to kids and they could pull up examples from their learning that shows that they are approaching standards, even if they didn't jump through all of my hoops, then they're approaching standards. And I just got to let that justice mindset kind of go, reminds myself mm -hmm. that it's not about how much, how many assignments they've turned in, but how much they've been able to meet standards consistently in different areas in the class. So this idea of, in some cases, less is more. <laughs> And that's probably goes connects back to that challenge of control and giving up control with um, teachers, not everybody doing the same thing at the same time. Right. Interesting. So you have this book with your 10 hacks and lots of practical advice, um, ways for us to get started. What are some first steps that our listeners might to take, might take to move forward to a non-grade classroom? And if we could if you could approach it from, you know, maybe a first step or two for a teacher, but also a first step or two for a leader who would be supporting a teacher. Um, I think that it's really important to start having these conversations on a school-wide level. As somebody who's doing it mostly alone in my school, if you want to enact any kind of change, you need the support of your supervisors, and I, and I have the support of mine. Um, but you also need the support of your colleagues because when students are getting different messages from different teachers, it's really, really, it, it makes the challenge even greater. So the first thing I would do is start really thinking about what your grading policy says, what you value, and really start asking kids what learning means to them and challenge challenge them with you know, what they think grades mean. So, I mean, it, it really starts with a conversation. Um, and then from the conversation, it, it starts a dialogue because hacking assessment really is all about changing assessment into a conversation instead of a one-way street. So that would be a first step that everybody could take, having conversations with your supervisors, having conversations with kids, with parents, and just sort of understanding that, the idea of this learning-centered classroom, we want to de-emphasize the numbers and emphasize the progress kids are making. No parent in their right mind is going to tell you I'd rather an A than all of this feedback that's very specific about what their child knows and can do, especially when you show it to them, the difference. Um, so I, I really feel like you start with a conversation, um, you could start with getting kids to understand standards, um, really make them transparent when you're starting with an assessment to really move away from worksheets and homework and testing and really broaden to multifaceted 
more um, collaborative projects, whether it be, you know, having kids make a movie or write a skit and perform it or have them do a tableau in class or have them create some kind of storyboard comic or some kind of, you know, screencast about whatever they're doing or maybe some of those flip books for math things that really get them to engage with the learning in a way that's meaningful to them. And, and something that's also really important is teachers have to start saying yes more. Um, if a kid has an idea about something rather than be really, um, narrow in the expectation of what you want to do or get from an assessment, start broadening what you want students to give you. So if you want them to show that they could meet a certain standard, you know, allow them to come to you with ideas on how they can do that. So instead of having really focused directions, I find very vague directions that allow for a lot of student creativity um, is a great way to get kids more involved in the process. I will say this, high achieving students will not like vague directions. <laughs> they want you to tell to tell them exactly what they have to do to get their A. So it takes a little bit of time to help them understand that that's not the goal anymore. And, and you know, you might have to, it's a dance that's going to happen kind of back and forth and you just got to be really patient. Mm -hmm. I love this idea of conversation because I think regardless of what level of change we try to, to make in education, that change is always going to be grounded in conversation. And, and I think that's actually a barrier for many of the, for implementing many of the changes that we want in education. And, you know, when we want to move to a, a assessment as more as conversation, as you say, too, that <laughs> That conversation almost, while it's really important, and I and I would love for us to move in that direction, I think it's almost perceived as a barrier sometime that I just don't have the time to have all these conversations. So share with us in your practice, how do you address the challenge of finding the time to have these very valuable conversations with your students around um, how they self-assess and how they look at their own performance? An awesome question. So again, it's a whole mindset shift. And once you start having kids doing collaborative projects in class, you're not in front of the room anymore because mm -hmm. kids are working on these other projects. So it's like a three-tiered process. I send out these Google forms where I ask very, very focused questions for students to think about their learning over a period of time. Students answer the form and I pre-read their answers prior to our conversations um, so that they don't have to actually like they don't have to go through everything with me because I've read it already. Um, it, it becomes more of a conversation about their goals um, or if I need more information than what they provided um, or, you know, there just needs to be an additional amount of information. So you kind of pre you front load um getting kids to think about what they want to say by providing them the form and giving them time to think about it. You set your class up so that over the course of a week, they're going to be working on a collaborative project where you could pull one kid at a time and you're not in front of the room and they could function on their own without you. And then you make a schedule in class so that the kids know when they're going and, you know, on what day. Sometimes I send emails 
sometimes I'll write, you know, I'll write their name on the whiteboard so they know who's going before them and who's going after them. And in addition to that, you know, I, I try to inform them ahead of time and I really try to skip stick to the schedule. The kids also can have other appointments with me when we're not in a conferencing period. Um, usually I do those before school because I get to school super early. Um, so if a kid needs more than the five minutes we're going to spend in class, I could have a 15 minute conference with them before the school day or during lunch if, if they, if need be. Um, but I mean, while I'm at school, my whole time there is really about the kids and I would much rather spend my prep time working with them than I would, um, being in a meeting or, doing other things that don't seem as important to me as these conversations are because they really are so rich and drive so many of the things that happen in our space that um, I wouldn't trade that time for anything. Mm -hmm. But but it really is a, a culture shift because you have to be okay letting control of the space. And, and once you're not in front of the classroom anymore talking at kids, you have 40 minutes every day like you set the kids up, you get them started, and then you sit down and you work with other kids and you create a culture in your room where the child sitting next to you wants that personal private time so none of the other kids disrupt because they know that when they're sitting in that chair, they want that personal private time as well. So it sounds like you're shifting the control. What you're controlling as the teacher is really that commodity of time. You're going into this conversation process really having mapped out uh, in a very uh, specific manner how that time is going to be used in the most efficient way to ultimately serve the students and giving them the time to have those conversations, um, which are so rich in terms of you know, assessing, assessing their work. So you mentioned that in your school you're still giving that end of marking period grade, and we know that you also work on portfolio assessments. So help us understand how you um, work with a po portfolio assessment and then transition to give that end of marking period grade. What does that process look like? Okay, so kids select their best work. They do their reflections. They put it in their portfolios. And then ultimately they come and we have an end term conference together where um, we sit down and they tell me what level of mastery they feel they're at. And I have a conversion chart taken from something that Marzano wrote a while ago, where we think mastery is when you can consistently, um, it, it's a let, there's a level of consistency and students are able to apply the knowledge to new information. So if kids can take a skill and they could apply it in different settings without somebody prompting them to use that particular skill, then they've mastered it. Mm -hmm. And so what we end up doing is we have conversation. And for those kids who overshoot, and some of them do, and they kind of smile at me when I call them on it after I've read their form, I'm like, so, you know, you're telling me that you're mastering most standards if you feel you're getting an A minus right now. So can you articulate a little bit more where you feel you're doing that? And at that point, most of them usually look at me and say, all right, well, I think I'm meeting most of them. 
but I, you know, there are a few areas I think I'm doing well on. There are some areas that I think that I, I need some more work in. And then I'll ask, you know, I'll press them to be more specific. And usually um, the, the truth finds its way out in that conversation. And then whatever they decide is the appropriate grade is the grade that goes on their report card. Um, and it's not that I would say very rarely that I am, I disagree with what they choose. Um, but at the end of the day, if I'm empowering them to be in that position and that's what they really feel. And even after my pushing, they still feel that that's where they are. Then I have to be true to what I said I was going to do. And I have to let the grade stand as far as I'm concerned, because at the end of the day, to me, the grade doesn't matter. It's just something I have to put on a report card. To me, the conversation is more important. So there, there really is, you know, that's part of the old mindset that, um, that I kind of push against too. If, you know, the child's like, yeah, I think I deserve an A minus. And even after we go back and forth, they're still like, yeah, I think I deserve an A minus. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) um, I'm like, all right. You know, if you think you're mastering most of the standards and I usually just kind of like end it like that, you know, like, you know, I look forward to seeing your next project where you show me that you are. Mm -hmm. I think you mentioned that in your book too. You talk about that. Mm All right. So to wrap this up, uh, you obviously you've written books on a number of different topics, including questioning and inquiry and assessment, which we've been talking about today. So what beautiful questions are you currently thinking about or working on? Um, right now, I'm currently working on better ways to help students provide fear, feedback to each other. So in this whole idea of teacher time and valuing what we do and how we do it and thinking of ways that we could empower students more. My, my beautiful question right now is how can we empower students to be great peer evaluators of each other? Um, and really how can we kind of train them to have that critical eye that we've been trained to have so that they could ask each other before they ask us in the future? Mm-hmm. as another means to empowering them in, in more ways. And ultimately, when they leave us, they're going to have to have that skill anyway, or it's going to, it's going to certainly benefit them if they have it. And we do want, especially in the world and the economy that students are going to be going into, we want them to have that skill. Exactly. Interesting, interesting questions. I look forward to reading about that and, and sharing that with our teachers as well. Well, as we bring this interview to a close, we want to thank Star for joining us and identify some ways where you can find more about Star's work. You can connect with Star on Twitter, at Ms. Staxtine, and everything here will be in the show notes. You can also connect with Star on Facebook, Star Saxtine, or the MJE Facebook fan page. Don't forget to check out Star's YouTube channel for all things throwing out grades. Um, Star writes a whole lot. You can visit her blog, (laughs) StarSaxtine.com, and you can also see... um, the Ed Week blog, Work in Progress, and Let's Replace Transcripts with Portfolios. There's a blog post that talks a little more about Star's ideas. Um, Very current, just published that today. And um, so we're looking forward to learning more from Star, and maybe we'll see Star again soon. So thanks again for joining us. Thanks for having me. 
Each episode, we leave you with a couple of questions to think about with the idea of provoking some conversation. This episode's questions, how will you prepare to move towards a no-grades classroom? And how can you share your work to help move the assessment and grading conversation to the forefront of progressive educational reform? If you've enjoyed today's episode, would like to comment or just find out more about the resources and links we shared in today's episode, check out the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for Season 2, Episode 13. We'd love for you to rate the show on iTunes, let us know your star rating, and consider leaving a one- or two-sentence review. If you have time to do that, you'll help new folks discover this content. That's it for now. We'll see you next episode for a conversation with another innovative thought leader. Thanks again, Star. Thanks. Have a great day, guys. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.